welcome to African Insight, a weekly program that focuses on infrastructure projects across the African continent. Have they lived up to their promises? Who will benefit? How and more? All here on African Insight. Welcome to African Insight, a weekly program with the appraisal of infrastructural undertakings in Africa at heart. Issues to do with development and GDP per capita do matter, as essentially feeding our people is. My name is Derek Mazarura. Feeding a nation and food security are key indicators for any economy. Land is the source, farming is the channel, and the two must be rightly approached and carefully deemed implementable to achieve sustainable methodology. Hence today, we assess, suggest, and well consider the how part. Agri-parks. What are agri-parks and what do they mean for the South African economy? We have on the show to give aid to unpack this and other related facets, Barbara Van Hayden and Gil Abel. Barbara is an economic strategist and African development specialist, and Gil is the founder of AgriLiving and also founder of EcoVillage Africa. Barbara and Gil, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Barbara, what is AgriParks and what are its main objectives? Why is it of paramount importance to the South African economy and the agricultural sector in conjunction with other sectors like ICT? Thank you for that question. An agri-park is the same as an urban industrial park. So it's an area where you will find factories and depending on the size of the agri-park is how many of the support businesses are situated around that factory. When I mean support um, businesses, I'm talking about those that supply services and, and goods required by those factories. So from a perspective of an agri-park, its focus is going to be on agriculture. And, mm-hmm. and so the factories in an agri-park will be agri-processing factories. So they will use the products of, from, from farmers and they will turn those products into other products that can be used. So we, we are, in terms of why is it of paramount importance to the economy, it is because agriculture is a primary Um, sector. So it produces raw materials. And by having an agri-processing factory, you're taking those raw materials and you're adding value to that raw material. Mm -hmm. So that potato no longer looks just like a potato. It will either become a potato chip or it will become potato flour. So we've so from an economic perspective, it's moved from a primary sector into a secondary sector. In which way can digital services, 
add value to that potato because the farmer has grown that potato. He's brought it to the factory to be processed into a chip. We've got banking services. We've got supply chain services, the packing that supply the boxes and the cling wrap for the potato chip. So we've got that third that third sector, and now the, the ICT sector, in which way can that digital sector add value to that potato? Mm-hmm. Well, that would be in keeping t- in touch with the customer. That would be the, the supermarket or supply chain that is going to buy that packet of chips. If we take South Africa as an example, we have a lot of our rural towns have fallen into disrepair because people have moved to the cities and looking for jobs. So the purpose of an agri-park is to try and get people to stay in the rural areas and to create enough work opportunities. Impressive. Gail, what happened to the agri-parks of 2016? described in depth its successes and failures to what extent does policy strategy influence the success of such projects okay thank you for your question hard question very straight simple i am 40 years in farming quality that brings the quality product to the agri park or agri center where it's processed and all the services that Barbara said, are in a park, but there is one simple, straight, critical shortage. There is no farmers that can supply the quantity and the quality to make an agri-park working. So they planned the grand story of agri-park all over the country. This will be the solution to the small-scale farmer. And nothing happened because nobody helped the small-scale farmer to become a smart-scale farmer that oh. he can take the potato and quantities and quality and bring it to the park, not security food producer. Agri-Park is there to build, to give service to massive quantities of fruit and veg to turn it into factories, value added like everybody talk value added value added fine you got machines equipment market mm-hmm. but you cannot have a value added product if the quality from the ground and the quantity are not sustainable from what i just gathered there weren't sufficient numbers tantamount to what is required and if say we have significant numbers of farmers there still would be deficiency in sustainable equipment for them. Automatically, Barbara, this is where you come in. Kindly give an outline of the agri-packs that you have worked on. How is it any different from the one the government failed to initiate, especially in terms of policy strategy? Well, that's a very exciting question to answer. Uh, a really nice question to answer. Thank you. All right, from, from the start, um, one needs to differentiate between government and the government sector and the private sector. And an agri-park needs to be firmly in the private sector. Yes. But that's not, 
that in itself is not going to make a difference because we know that there are agri-processing factories around the world. So why, why haven't there been huge changes for the general farmer, the small farmer on the ground, the one that Gil's talking about? Let's just take one factory in an agri-park. It is a good idea for that factory in an agri-park to be owned by somebody called a socialpreneur. Now, a socialpreneur is different to an entrepreneur in that they are motivated more by a, a, a people outlook, not just a profit outlook. Profit is important, of course, because um, this is a free market economy. Yes. But you want the combination of people and profit together. So by putting a socialpreneur um, factory as your focal point, that, that socialpreneur then works with the farmer and um, gives incentives to the farmer to, to supply them. The turnaround strategy that I've been working on in an agri-park in the Eastern Cape it's immediately started it from a socialpreneurship point of view, uh, putting the, the, the factory into private hands and then working with the other stakeholders for each stakeholder, for the farmer to be able to concentrate on farming, for the mm -hmm. university that was linked to the factory to concentrate on curriculating this their students' work with the output of the factory. So it's walking the talk. So these are the, are the differences between a socialpreneurship agri-park to a government-funded agri-park. And also the socialpreneurship agri-park factory will be linked to an existing supply chain. Thank you for the well-developed discussion point, Barbara. Gail, over 40 years in the agricultural sector, thus an irrefutable well of knowledge and experience gained. What other parks have you done in the past? Please cite your history, the projects you have done and the results they have yielded. In 48 years, I did, I helped, I designed, I built and I managed and I hand over to owners, private owners, a lot of commercial agropark means you grow well, you pack well, you sell well, and you get the order before you start to grow so your business plan is secure. Mm -hmm. So in Congo, the president gave me the chance to do exactly what we plan without any interference, not from the community, not from the local so-called experienced uh, uh, agronomist or uh, 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 even university uh, uh, trainers, because he said, we haven't got the knowledge, we cannot do it, we didn't do it, we cannot get even the crop out of the ground the way that you do. So please bring the knowledge, bring the equipment, grow the quality, grow the quantity, pack it and show us how to do it. Mm -hmm. So this is what I did. It took from scratch, from nothing. 
only water, river, and land. We designed the equipment. We brought it in. We installed it. Everybody learned from us what to do without telling us, no, yes, it will not work. And, and in our country, we don't do like this. Everything must be done commercially correct, like any other business. And in farming, you must be very careful. You are playing with water and animals and live plants. So if you don't feed the animal or the plant like you feed yourself, you will never come out from small scale and impoverished farmer. You need to change a mindset of a farmer. This is what we did in Congo. And they learn and they continue to do exactly what they learn without changing according to tribal history, a relation. It's all business, mm -hmm. not trust and not CPI, CPA. Everything is working. The same in several other countries. You know, we went to China and they asked us to do a kibbutz, Israeli kibbutz, because I'm originally from Israel. So they gave us 4,000 hectares and 4,000 people. So we put it together and we chose a crop and we brought the irrigation. We taught the people how to farm. Everybody shared it. Not one is owning and the rest are still peasant. And then you got the biggest garlic supplier in the world. Uh -huh. The way that we built it. No interference, no political story, no other people that coming with their ideas. It must be commercial. Barbara, to what degree do you agree with Gil that it is an issue of mindset? He also alluded to intense interferences imposed by agronomists, politicians, so-called learned people. Which African economies are the likely victims of such? I have been um, starting a, an agri-park in Kenya. I met a graduated master's student, um, Kenyan master's student, who'd done his master's in medical nutrition. His name is Eric. And Eric wanted to do something with his life. And, and his dream was to become a socialpreneur. And you just have to say the word socialpreneurship to me, and I immediately think AgriPark. And he started a community-based organization called the Ndalo Heritage Trust. Uh -huh. And it was formed um, in accordance with the United Nations Integrating Agriculture and Nutrition Food Program that looks at um, the first thousand days of a child's life. That's what Ndalo is doing. There, we have started off working with small people. We're talking householders, caregivers, teaching them uh, the importance of your own vegetable gardens at home. So by showing and working with the communities, uh, when you take policy and you actually operationalize it right down at the bottom to, to unpack it and see what the what the assets are in the community. And so before a tractor even hits the ground, we have already done a year's preparatory work. Yes. Talking to, engaging, engaging the gatekeepers, engaging the tribal chiefs, 
um, engaging the existing small farmers, engaging the big commercial farmers, engaging the extension offices, and engaging the agricultural colleges around that area. Gail, what is a farmer production support unit, FPSU? Please rate its importance to AgriParks. Without it, you cannot have AgriPark, you cannot have farming, nothing. And this is what's happening in South Africa. There's no, no agri-support. The farmers getting land, getting some money, but this is not helping them to farm quality and quantity with the technologies that are available. They don't get it. Government haven't got it. Government a, a extension officer don't know it. Oh. And all costs money to put in the ground to build before you can get any result. So without support, correct support, and we call it the agri-living support, the community support, where there is a system that everybody work together, everybody's doing what the professional experience mentor a, a, a farm manager call it is doing and doing the same then you can get the volume and the volume brings the net profit unless you start from the ground from the soil from the water with the farmer mindset understand farming is not quick money and if you own the farm doesn't help you to get production and net profit Mm -hmm. uh, I think that with a new release of land that the minister uh, advertised and now people are uh, um, applying for land came a very clear message. No one will start to farm on a new land with a new lease without entry-level education, practical education, and then training how to use the land that you got a lease. Still with you, Gail, what are eco-villages? Why eco-villages at this stage? How critical are eco-villages to FPSU? What's the link between FPSU and eco-villages? Are the two dependent on each other? No, not at all. Eco-village is the only way to go. Agri-park is an industrial area with all the services that uh, um, Barbara said, fantastic, important. But this is a park to supply services to three, four hundred farmers, good farmers, top farmers, that producing the quality that the park is demanding. Eco-village mm -hmm. is a different story. You build 500 houses, a thousand houses of a little eco-village. But all the people are going to work on a big farm. So they got a job, they got specific training what to do, and it's done in a commercial big way. So when you got the quantities from one big farm that is worked by a thousand people, and every one of them is getting a salary, and profit sharing. Now, look, 
I'm working with the government. I'm helping. I'm advising. And it's moving. People starting to leave. Agropark is happening on a large, mm-hmm. intensive, high-quality farming. No more small scale. It's dead. It cannot come up. Barbara, how will agriparks create employment for youth and women? And how can rural unemployment be reduced? To what degree are remote areas potential emerging markets? Well, it's very important, uh, especially in working with women, is to make sure that uh, the jobs that you're offering women are the same as, as you would have offered men. It's very important when you're moving into a rural area to, to talk about empowering, empowering everybody, empowering the youth, empowering the disabled, empowering women, empowering men, which is very similar to when you go into a community and do asset mapping. You, you find out what skills are available, what interests are available. And then as, as Gil explained in the eco-village, you start growing the right crops for the uh, right quality and then you will build your, your factory after that. Mm-hmm. And during that process, you are making sure that you've got the right curriculum, you've got the right training. So we t- talk about curriculum and training and we know just how how the education system has failed us miserably in the past so what you've got to do is you've got to do participatory learning and we learn by doing and watching and seeing and that is very important and to actually know why are we doing it in this way so you've got when you plant a crop, you need seeds. seeds. Some crops need seedlings before they can be planted into the ground. So that in itself is another business. You've got packaging, um, uh, the packaging part that goes into a finished product. That in itself is another um, small business. Um, and nowadays you've got 3D printing. Mm-hmm. And remember how we were saying you needed to take a primary sector, move it up to a secondary sector, and then you've got services, and then you've got the digital. Well, this is what 3D printing is about. Now, all of those are much smaller business units that have the same amount of care and training and transfer of skills that Gil was talking about in his eco-village. Does AgriParks support local skills development? Are rural unemployment levels curtailed the same way for all African economies? Barbara, Gail? Every big agricultural development starts small, like any other business. And in this beginning, because to build a big farm, a big eco-village, takes time. The first thing that you do is first 50 hectares out of 10,000 hectares. And there, the most important thing starts, the practical training. We build the farm with all the people that are coming to live and work after selection. Then, when you build the farm, you do it in the training way, practical training. And Mm -hmm. when we finish the 50 hectares, and it's working very nice, then all the trained people 
are moving to the next 100, 200, and 1,000, and 2,000 hectares when they become the trainers of the second lot. So every eco-village, any big agricultural development starts with a training center that is basically built on the farm and they are learning farming and how to run and be serious in a farm while they're working in a high-tech new technology that they learn. And then, remember, women control agricultural in Africa or farming, not control, sorry. The traders mm -hmm. are unfortunately a little bit more men than women, except a few countries that women control everything like Congo. So this is the place, agriculture, to employ gender. And there are a lot of well-trained women here. We are going to take a quick break. And when we return, we assess the value of small-scale farmers, PPPs, regulatory framework and policy strategy. Join us after the break. This is African Insight on Channel Africa DSTV 802. Join me, Derek Mazarura, as we journey through the structure beneath the structure, northeast, west, south, and central Africa to find the project, the meaning with the people for the people. Every Wednesday mornings at 8, regional, national, sub-national, from Morocco's North Africa Power Transmission Corridor to the eco-villages in Togo, among many, all here on African Insight, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Barbara and Gil, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. And if you're just joining us, we are talking agriculture in South Africa, agri-parks to be specific. Contrary to the findings acquired during the course of our discussion, why is the concept of smallholders important to the agricultural sector, thus taking into account productivity per unit area and GDP per capita, are we ruling out small-scale interests, Gail? You look at them, individual, small farmers. They will not survive. They cannot survive. They can maximum grow food for themselves, but they need every year money to plant because they ate the money. So small scale on its own cannot and will never continue to survive. Barbara, are you of the same notion? Um, well... It also depends on your product. You can be a small-scale farmer and um, be incredibly successful. It depends on whether you have secured your market, whether you have a good relationship with a variety of customers, mm -hmm. whether you have got quality, whether you have got the right volume, and whether you have the right um, technology to carry on delivering that. And that's the difference there. Not everybody wants to be a big farmer. A lot of people like to be a lifestyle farmer, but they can still be a very successful lifestyle farmer 
should they understand the concept of retaining a percentage of your earnings? Because that's what we're actually talking about. We're talking about uh, being a small-scale farmer by not borrowing money to start your business. Because it's debt. It's debt. If your debt grows faster than your profit growth, mm -hmm. you will always be a disaster. Barbara, describe and explain the infrastructure projects directly or indirectly realized due to AgriParks. What is the multiplier effect of AgriParks and what role does it play in integrating various sectors? As I, as I was describing earlier, um, so the integration of the sectors would be... Um, the farmer, the raw produce. So that is your primary sector. So that's the harvesting of, a, of, of the product. You're, you're, you're integrating your primary with your secondary sectors, what the agri-park is there to do. It starts the processing. Mm -hmm. And along with the processing, the other infrastructure development comes apart, which is the construction. So if you want to use Gill's Eco Village as an example, there will be construction of those homes going on there. And then you also, because of that um, uh, agri-park, you're going to have those financial services, you're going to have health services because you've got all, all these people working on the farms or working in the factories. So that's... That's how your integration comes apart. Your infrastructure, that will be your schools, that will be your, your clinics, um, your, that's your health. And then, of course, there's logistics, which is your trucks to move your produce, and then you get your service stations. So the multiplier effect here is that the money needs to stay in that community 10 times before it leaves. Now, that is a very important concept. Mm -hmm. So the farmer should, the, the farmer that gets the money from the potato should be spending that money on 10 different things within that community before the farmer goes outside that community to buy something. That is the multiplier effect. Utterly sold on multiplying circulation 10 times prior to committing it to outer expenditure. Which role can be played by PPPs in influencing the establishment of sound regulatory frameworks and robust policies? What are the main barriers to policy strategy in South Africa and Africa as a whole? All right. Uh, we're doing, we're working, we're trying to do PPP. PPP means the public or the government is a partner, but they cannot design, plan, and execute a commercial sustainable business. It's not their business. Politicians are not farmers. So a decision from the government to enter a PPP is, here's a land, it's our land, it's our water, and we give capital, certain amount, capital for infrastructure, to build a potential for farming. Then the commercial, sustainable, mm -hmm. experienced company that is in the market, 
is coming with their own orders, equipment, training, and value-adding, and there, together, building a PPP. Government cannot farm and cannot and should not advise in farming commercial, sustainable, working companies. And you can have any degree that you want. You can kick it in a Google. Commercial farmers, they've got the market, the knowledge, the variety, how to feed, what to do, how to pick, to whom to sell, what time of the year. It's not existing in government. Therefore, government must give it to the commercial. Mm -hmm. And you can go on the tender and you can try to do BEE. It's not a question of BEE. It's a question who got it, who can transfer the skill and who not. Barbara, something different or alike, perhaps? Um, I feel very strongly that governments are there to govern. Uh, over the years, I've done a huge amount of um, assessment and evaluation on public-private partnerships. So I'm, I'm speaking from, from, from that bias. Um, where I think governments can play a huge role is when governments are sitting on huge tracts of land. And I think that that land can be leased to a, uh, and I like Gil's idea of broad-based commercial equity empowerment. So I would like to, to think of it uh, as these BBCEE parks where government leases its land. And initially, it should lease its land at no cost for X amount of years. And to, to, a, to a socialpreneurship venture, which is in agriculture. Uh -huh. And the other role that government can play is in those tax incentives to, to make sure that by taking on an agricultural initiative like this, there are tax incentives. And, and to ensure that the infrastructure is there, that the, the roads are tarred, the water piping is there, the energy that is required is there, and as well as export incentives. Um, giving um, incentives to, to show at at global trade fairs, that is a, that is a role that government can play, as is um, ease of export, so that your product isn't delayed um, at at exit points on the border. So I feel very strongly that government does have a huge role, but doing what government is supposed to do, um, govern more effectively and efficiently by, as I say, um, making sure that their land is available to lease and, and it, for it to be rent-free for so many years and then uh -huh. for it to be rented at the correct value because at the end, end of the day, this is a commercial venture. We're looking at sustainability here. And um, I, feel, 
I feel passionate about that, as you can hear. Gail, still burning. Minister of Agriculture, two months ago, came and did what nobody did for the last 25 years. She released 770,000 hectares of government land not utilized or partly utilized to be taken by entrepreneurs, farmers, companies, proper business plan. She did it. Well, they're starting to move. And if there is other land available and not adhere to, an application can come in and the government officially, first time in history, mm -hmm. 30-year lease with option to buy. This is fantastic. Where do you see the South African economy and Africa at lunch with AgriParks by the year 2030? Right. Okay, I, I like the idea that maybe we need to move away from the word agri-park because it's yeah. had bad press, as they would say. So there's a huge future for food. Without food, there is no future. And I see the role of agriculture as a organic socialpreneurship entity that is going to be defined by each community that practices it, that decides to encompass it. So, um, yes, there will be similarities in style, but it will be organic. It's not going to be a blueprint. It's not going to be a blueprint that is going to be unrolled throughout Africa. I think um, I still like the... I, st I still feel very passionate about communities being engaged right at the at the beginning, uh -huh. um, so that we have a proper engagement stakeholder community uh, plan, and then we we then develop everything according to the asset mapping of that area, so it becomes organic. Gail, correctly, Barbara is right. Each area. Got different weather, different soil, different water. So you cannot say Africa is one country. And unfortunately, we need to work on it hard because in Europe, in America, when they see Africa, they see always a bad story. So they think all of them the same. Uh -huh. we need to understand each part of Africa is in a different place. You cannot grow certain things and you can grow fantastically only there. So, Africa and agriculture, like any other business, but especially agriculture, must be calculated and planned properly by professional people that sitting in a place that make decisions what to grow, to whom to grow, what time of the year. So, not automatically for Africa, each country separately, correctly, like she said, and we are moving towards it because Unless the commercial business is coming in with clear indication what to grow, when, for who, and yes. then you got the income, you will not be sustainable. So South Africa got specific area for specific crop, and this is what you must practice and do, and don't try to do something that is costing too much. Barbara and Gill, 
Thank you for coming through and adding value to our discussion on agriculture in South Africa and Africa as a whole. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Derek. Thank you for having me. And thank you for letting me share my viewpoints. I appreciate that. We are here to create a model that will be duplicated because we are always positive. We are doing it 40 years. If it will take another 40 years, it will happen. But it's happening now here with the right control or the right management of the country in agriculture and water. And it's happening in another few countries. So glory time is soon. And let's only work smartly. Thank you. Plan smartly. No political stories. And we will make it. And Africa can be a basket. Not the only one, but a good basket to the world. And for their own people, good change in life. And to our dear listeners, we have come to the end of our show. And it has laid foundation for the land debate in South Africa. What is your standpoint as regards the land question? What must be allocated to who, why and how? What methods of farming can sustain the African child at the end of the day? How long are we going to look to the West for food and sustenance? You and I have a job to do to make a change. Making a change is making things right. And doing it right is the African way. Join me again next week, same time, right here on African Insight as we explore the structure beneath the structure. My name is Derek Mazarura and it's bye for now.